So this is a, a great time of the year. Obviously, it's been exciting to celebrate seniors. Um, but for me, as I thought about preaching today, I thought about this is a great time of year to evaluate uh, some things as a church. It's a great uh, we- yearly reminder um, of this. Are we, be- are we being who God has called us to be? Right? And are we doing what God has called us to do? You see, our, our mission as Christians and our mission as a, as a church is this. Be a disciple who makes disciples, right? Be a disciple who makes disciples. And so today I want to look at that, discipleship. Uh, I want to look at the Bible. What does it have to say? Um, and then <clears throat> here's the summary, the key phrase, right? Be a disciple who makes disciples, especially seniors as you think about who am I? That's, that's a question you're going to be asking yourself over the next however many years. If you're a Christian, here it is. Be a disciple who makes disciples. So I have some simple questions. Uh, I'm a simple guy, and so that'll help guide our discussion today. And we'll just look. We'll look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say? And then we'll examine our lives against that, right? That's what we do. We read the Bible. When our life doesn't match up with that, we change our life to match up with that. And so my prayer and heart today, just as a pastor, is, is that we would. We would repent. We're, we're not being disciples and where we're not making disciples. And so here's a simple question to start. Question number one, what is a disciple? Right? We ought to start there. What is a disciple? Question number one. So here's a simple de- definition. Uh, Steve, do we have this? Question number one. A disciple is first and foremost someone who has been greatly loved by Jesus. And secondly, a disciple is a learner whose only or main priority is to live like Jesus and do what Jesus said, right? So the disciple is first and foremost someone who has a relationship, someone who has, who has been greatly loved by Jesus and understands all that he's done. But second, it's a learner. It's someone that's growing and learning from, from God, learning to live like him and do what Jesus said. Um, we, see, we see the greatly loved in the story of Mary and Martha, and we also see the learner, Right? As Mary and Martha, the story goes in Luke 10, they're sitting, Jesus has come to visit, right? And Martha's over there, and she's in the kitchen, and she's serving, and she's doing all this stuff for Jesus, and she's mad at her sister, because her sister's not helping her, right? And where's Mary? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's right there with Jesus, and she's learning from him, she's talking with him. Her focus is on relationship with Jesus, and Mary's focus is on doing. And, And Jesus looks at her, and he goes, look, Mary, you've chosen the better way. See, being is way more important than doing. And first and foremost, a disciple is someone who is greatly loved by Jesus. We see the priority. When we, when, if you've, I don't know if you've read the stories recently. I read it recently. When Jesus calls the disciples to himself. And it, it, if you read it with fresh ears, I mean, we've probably heard these stories a thousand times. It's amazing how quick and how immediate and radical their obedience is. He calls them and he says, come follow me. It says they leave their nets behind. They left their family behind and they go and they follow him. They, they saw something in Jesus that was worth following and they leave it all behind and go follow him. Um, they live like Jesus and they do what Jesus says. Uh, we see this in the sending out of the disciples also in Luke 10. You see, they weren't just saved. They weren't just disciples for the purpose of, of, of getting their get out of hell free card, right? Get into heaven free card. He saved them for a reason, and so he sends them out. Why? To go do what Jesus was doing. To love the world in word and in deed. To preach the truth of God. To teach the world who God is and who they are. But also to meet their, their physical needs. See, Tim Keller says it this way. There are not two kinds of Christians. Regular Christians and people who are really disciples. 
There's only one. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. So that's what a disciple is. It's someone who leaves everything to go follow Jesus, to live like him and love like him. Well, question number two. We're not all born disciples. We're not all born just because we're a Christian. born into a Christian family doesn't mean that you're born a Christian, right? So how do you become a disciple? So let's read in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, if any of, my, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? What about Luke 9, verse 57 through 62? It says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said, Foxes have dens to live in. And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And he said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow... And then looks back is not fit or useful for the kingdom of God. So we see the radical obedience, right? A disciple is not just someone who has... It's not just this simple thing, right? It's, it's, it's a complete change of identity and it's a complete change of priority, right? And so when I read this... And, and to be honest, I read this and I kind of cringe a little bit, right? Because I know there are times that that's not my first priority. When I read this, I think... Why would anybody want to be a disciple, right? How, how fun does that sound to leave it all behind? Leave family, leave this, leave that. To change all your priorities. Like, wh- why? Why would anybody voluntarily give up rights? Voluntarily surrender those and say, no, I'm going to do whatever Jesus says. Why? why? What would motivate anybody to do that? Here's what I know about us as humans. Uh, if the gain, if what we get is not greater than what we give up, then nobody would do anything, right? We only give up something if we get something better, right? We only, if the gain is not worth, is not greater than the cost, then no one would do anything. So the, the cost of following Jesus is great. So if there are disciples, and there are disciples in here, there are disciples all over the world, then obviously the, the gain is greater, right? What we get by following Jesus is, is so much more. So what would motivate us? Mark Dever says this, Being a disciple of Christ does not begin with something we do. It begins with something Christ did. It doesn't begin with something that we do. It begins with something that Christ did. So let's read that. It's in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's see what would motivate anybody to go and follow Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. It says, But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, we, when he raised Christ from the dead. You see, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. 
And so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Here it is. Here's what God has done for us. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So what would motivate anybody to be a disciple? What would motivate anybody? It's that. It's a radical experience of the love of God. Grace, right? That's why anybody would, would forsake it all and go and follow Jesus. So question number three. Question number three. What do disciples do? What do disciples do? And we'll keep this simple. Primarily, being a disciple is not about the doing, right? It's not about things that we do for God, the way we serve Him, the way we love Him. Because that's like the Pharisees counting up all of our good stuff. Being a disciple is more about the being. It's what God has done for us, right? It's the heart change that we... He's he's changed us. And He's given us a love for Him that's greater, right? But disciples don't just stay there, right? At the end of that, that verse, it talks about He saved us. And he, he planned works for us, planned good things for us to do, right? So what do disciples do? Here, here it is. They grow in love for God, and they grow in love for people. They grow in love for God and love for people. So how do we love God? What are, what are ways that we love God? Well, we, we learn from Him, right? Disciples are, are humble enough to admit that they don't know, we don't know what's best. We, we, we all have our way. There's a way that seems right to a man, right? But the end doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. So a disciple learns from God through his word, right? A disciple worships him. And that, that just happened in song, but that's such a tiny part of what worship really is. A disciple knows, man, everything that's good in my life comes from God, right? Everything that, that, that I do, I seek to honor him because he's given me everything, right? So we learn from him. We worship him. We also serve him, right? We, we, we pour our lives out to other people. We, we meet needs of people. We teach. We, we do all sorts of things to serve God, right? So that's how we love God, but we also have love for people. We don't just, it's not just, uh, this isn't a religion where it's just us and God. We're not just trying to get to our, our inner self, right, and, and be close to God. No, there's a, there's a physical expression of that in the world. So if we're going to live like Jesus, how did Jesus love people? How did Jesus love people? Well, he loved them in word and in deed. Everywhere you go in the Gospels and you read it, it says that Jesus went about, he preached in their towns, and he healed their sick. He, he taught them the word of God, and he, he uh, cast out demons. He did, he did teaching, word, and he did deed. He did good things, right? And so that's how we love people. Uh, the greatest expression of our love for people is that we would point them to who God is, right? That we would, we would say, no. This is who God is, and this is who you are, and this is what God has done for you. That's our greatest expression of love for people. But if that's all we do, if we only point them to God and we don't meet their physical needs, if we don't love them physically, then we've done nothing. Either one, if, if you just do one and not the other, just the, just the deed and not the word, just the word and not the deed, then you've missed it, right? Because Jesus did both, and if we're going to live like him and love people like him, we should do both. So I hope you see that becoming a disciple is this whole new identity. This is not something small. This is a radical thing. It's a new change of priority. That everything is about Him. 
And disciples are constantly growing. They're not stagnant. They're not just stuck, right? They're growing in their love for God and their love for people. So here's question number four. How do disciples grow? How do disciples grow? Question number four. Uh, There's a kind of a running joke in my family uh, that goes something like this. I'll I'll do something or make something or create something that uh, no one's ever seen me do before, right? And uh, one day in my arrogant self, I responded like this. I, I don't know what I had done. Dad said, how did you know how to do that? I said, I've always known how to do that. There's never been a time in my life where I didn't know how to do that, right? And, and obviously, that's not really true. It's not technically true, right? Because there, there was a time in my life where I didn't know how to use a bandsaw or bake a cheesecake or preach a good sermon because some of you were here for that first sermon, right? Uh, <laughs> A lot of you were here for that first sermon where I, yeah, and the second one probably, and maybe you're thinking this one too. (laughs) But there was a time in my life where I didn't know how to do that, right? I haven't always known how to do those things. Uh, But to me, once I know how to do something, it it feels as if I've always known how to do it. I can't, it's it's easy to forget that I had to be taught to do those things. Someone had to show me how to do those things, right? Uh, it's very humbling to think there was a time in my life where I couldn't feed myself or clean myself, right? So if you think you're hot stuff, remember, somebody had to wipe you a long time, right? <laughs> right? You had to be taught how to do everything. Now, now, spiritually, I had to be taught how to read the Bible. I, didn't, I grew up in a pastor's home, right? But I had to be taught how to read the Bible. I had to be taught God's Word. I didn't just come out of the womb understanding that. I had, to, I had to be taught how to ask questions about the Bible when I read it, how to, how to process and fit things together. What the Old Testament, I had to be taught all of that. Uh, I had to be taught how to pray. You don't, you don't just wake up and are born and you know how to pray. I had to be taught how to share my faith. That, that's not something that comes real naturally for me. But I had to be taught how, in different situations, in different ways, how to share what God has done for me. I understand it in myself, but it didn't always come naturally. I had to be taught how to do that. I had to be taught how to disciple other believers. I had to be taught how to pass what others had done for me into others, right? All of these things, I had to be taught. And it didn't, it didn't come, I'll be honest, from sitting and listening to my dad preach my whole life. It didn't come from just singing songs. It didn't come from being a passive observer in a worship service. I didn't learn how to do those things. I learned by being in smaller groups where I heard people talking like that, heard people praying. It learned about meeting with older and mature believers to know, man, how do I deal with this situation? How do I be a good husband? How do I love my wife through this situation? You see, the chances of me and, and you, for that matter, just soaking up how to live the Christian life by being a casual observer in a worship service is, is slim to none. This is how... Um, so how do disciples grow? The main thing is this. You've got to be taught. And we see this in Deuteronomy 6, classic text. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on, a for, on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, so it sounds like 
We need lots of reminders because we're very forgetful people. He says, put it everywhere. Talk about it everywhere in every situation of life. You see, discipleship is not just sitting down over coffee. It's, it's, it's learned all over the place. So how do disciples grow? The main thing is this, is we need to be taught the Word of God. And, and that's not just head knowledge. That's not just you need to know how to parse Greek verbs and the history of the Hebrew people and who Melchizedek is. Like, none of that. It's just head knowledge, right? It's just knowledge that puffs up. But true understanding of God's Word and really being taught it leads to what? At least to a transformed life, right? And, and as we are transformed, we're not more arrogant because we know more. No, we're more humble. We're not more proud of our accomplishments. No, we're more aware of God's grace to us, right? So how do we grow? We need to be taught, right? We've got to be shown how to do all these things. Clean yourself, feed yourself, take care of yourself. So that's the first part of this. We said, we said what, is, what is the theme of the whole serv- service, sermon? <laughs> be a disciple who makes disciples. That's the bead, right? So what about, what about the who makes disciples? That's really what I want to focus on. And this, was, this is important, right? Because this was Jesus' last command to us. As he left the earth, the last thing he told his disciples, he, he taught them for three years. They had been with him. They knew, they knew what, he, what he said. They knew who he was. They knew what they were supposed to be. He had modeled it in front of them. But his last command was this. Go make disciples of all people, baptizing them, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've taught. And there's a lot going on there, but what he's saying is this. The only verb in the sentence is make disciples. Not go, not baptize, not teach. The command is make disciples. And so we've got to ask this, question number five. What does it mean to make disciples? I'm glad you asked. Let's, um, let's read a couple texts and we'll talk about it. 2 Timothy 2.2. Let me read it off my page. 2 Timothy 2.2. You've heard me teach these things. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, one of his disciples. He says, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So making disciples, part of it is this, is that we look down on on, on those that are younger than us in the faith and we, we teach them the things that we've been taught, right? We pass on the truth of God's Word. What about Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25? It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So part of what it looks like to, to make disciples is that we, we meet together, right? We don't, it's not a Lone Ranger kind of Christianity, right? That's not part of making disciples. We come together in this group in smaller groups, in one-on-one, in all situations of life. We meet together and we encourage one another. We speak life into one another. We help each other along the way. We, we, we realize that we're both stumbling along this path to life and we need help, right? That's part of making disciples. What about 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33? Paul says this, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So I don't, I'm not just about me. I'm not just about my own life. I'm seeking to pour myself into others. And he says, every time that I do that, 
Anytime that I do anything that looks like Christ, you do it the same. You see, this is, this is the example that we don't just teach. We don't just pass on wisdom. That's not all discipleship is. is no, we live it out. And as others see us imitating Christ, they would follow. What about 2 Corinthians 3.18? It says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. You see, the whole goal of this is that we would more and more look like Christ. We would more and more look like Christ. That's what making disciples is. Okay, so let me give you a definition. We'll just try to summarize it simple. Making disciples includes uh, both evangelization, seeing people that aren't believers come to faith, and also pouring into them, right? So making disciples is sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus with non-believers. But just as importantly, it's about one disciple helping another disciple grow in their love for God, love for people, and obedience to God. Discipleship is that. One disciple coming alongside another one saying, look, let me help you. Let me teach you. Let's grow together. Let's grow in our love for God. And as I've been a youth pastor for a little over a year now, um, what I see and what I mm, grates inside of me is that discipleship is missing. We're, we're pretty good as a church, um, statistically, of making converts, of, of seeing people baptized, of seeing people come to faith. Um, but just my honest assessment is we're not as good at helping those along the way as, as, as coming alongside new believers and helping them grow in the faith. And helping them make disciples. Um, you know why? Because that's the hard work. It's, it's somewhat easy. As miraculous as it is to see someone saved. I'm not saying it's easy to see someone saved. But that's a, that's a quick thing. Helping someone along the path is a much harder. But to me, it's much more rewarding. You see, um, making disciples is not like the easy bake oven, right? It's not, it's not this simple thing where you got the package and the water... In the oven, two minutes, you got a little cake, right? Just instant results, instant impact. That's, that's really not what this making disciples is about. It's more like a garden, right? Right, Glenn Frank? Right, Adam Naren? I, I, I figured out that a lot of guys are gardeners. I just didn't know it because uh, I wasn't raised with it. But I started gardening, and I'm realizing, man, there's a lot of guys that garden. See, gardening, it takes a lot of work. Takes a lot more steps than that easy bake oven. You got to know your soil, right? You got to know. Glenn Frank has, has had people come out and test his soil, so he knows pH and he knows um, nitrogen content and clay content. He's got he's got the right mix of nutrients and all this stuff, right? I and mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Making making sure the soil's in the in the right form, right? Mounds or, or raised beds. You got to buy you got to buy seeds. You got to scatter the seeds, plant them, water them. And you've got to hope that when you water them, that they don't wash away before they sprout, right? And then once they sprout, you've got to protect them from frost. You've got to protect them from bugs. You've got to protect them from animals eating them, right? And then you've got to feed them. And you've got to take out weeds that are in there because they're taking nutrients from the plants, right? And, and all these steps over and over. And, and eventually what happens? One day, miraculously, there's a watermelon. There's a squash. There's, there's tomatoes that turn red and don't get eaten by birds, right? But miraculously, there is fruit. 
and, and much more healthy fruit, much more nourishing fruit than that easy-bake oven. You see, making disciples is more like the garden than it is the easy-bake oven. It's the hard work. It's, it's different people along the way, nurturing and pouring and, and, and feeding and all that stuff, right? And it takes dying to self. It's like Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't produce fruit. And I, and I think that's what making disciples is about is that we do have to die to ourselves. We do have to die to ourselves and realize that our life as a Christian, as a disciple, is not about me anymore. It's about others. Mark Dever says it this way, Christianity is no long, is not for loners or individual, individualists. It's for a people traveling together down the narrow path that leads to life. He says, you must follow. There's others ahead of you. You must follow and you must lead. You must love and be loved. And we love others best by helping them to follow Jesus down the pathway to life. So this process of making disciples is one believer helping another believer, disciple, grow in their love for God and their love for people and their obedience to God. And so question number six, last question. What does that look like? What does that practically look like? What is discipling? What does... Investing your life in someone else look like? So two examples. We should take cues from Jesus' model, right? Jesus, uh, I don't know if, if you have a plan. In, uh, there's probably a lot of seniors that say, I was like this. I mean, I, I wanted to change the world, right? right? That's, that's, that's a common thing to read at a graduation. He wants to change the world. And I don't know what your method is, what your strategy is to go and change the world, but Jesus, his model was probably pretty different than yours. He didn't go, I'm going to write a book I'm going to become famous. I'm going to, I'm going to have all these followers. I'm, going to, I'm just going to reach m- massive amounts of people. He had those people. He had the crowd. But that really wasn't where he invested his life. Where did he invest his life? He had 12 men, one of them who deserted him. He had 12 men who he invested his whole life in. And really, to be honest, those guys knew everything about him and lived with him all the time. But there were really three. There were really three that he poured into, James, Peter, and John. And, and, and I think this, when I say, we got to make disciples, we got we to pour into the next generation, especially as a youth pastor. When I look around on Wednesday night and I see 60 kids or 50 kids, I'm thinking, ah, how do I do this? Like, how do I reach all these kids? How do I see them grow in Christ? Because a lot of them, their parents don't come. A lot of them don't have any sort of family environment where discipleship is happening. And, and for me, I'm preaching to myself here. I got to take cue from Jesus' model, Right? He invested his life in three men. And we all sit here today because of those three men, right? They made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And now the largest religion in the world is Christianity. Why? Not because Jesus wrote a book or became famous. Not because he had this great strategy. He just said, I'm going to invest my life in these three men. And then they're going to go do the same thing. I think the other thing we need to talk about biblically is Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. Okay, Paul... Paul is this missionary, right? He's this mature believer. He's out. He's going to the unreached places. He's sharing the gospel. People are coming to faith. He's gathering them together into churches. And then, and then they're doing the same thing. He's, he's causing multiplication to happen all over the known world. But Paul didn't do it alone. He had another man. He had other men besides Barnabas. But he had Barnabas right there with him. And Barnabas was the same life stage, same, same life experience, same everything, basically. And Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. 
And he was right there with Paul. He was encouraging him, helping him. They were going through the same stuff. He was investing his life in Paul. And Paul gets all the credit, right, for starting the church. But Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, all these guys are right there with him. But Paul also had people younger than him, Timothy, right? Just like Jesus had taken three and invested his life in them, he took Timothy on as a son. He took Timothy on and he poured his life into him. He taught him. He, he showed him. He modeled for him. And then he sent Timothy out. Timothy became the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And then that church blew out into the rest of the world, right? And Paul invested his life in Timothy. So discipling looks like this for each Christian. You need a Paul in your life. You need someone that you're a Timothy to, that you're looking up to, that you're saying, man, how do I be a better husband? How do I be a better wife? How do I honor God in this situation at work? How, teach me how to pray. I don't, I don't, my prayer life is stagnant right now. Man, I don't know how to read this passage of Scripture. You need, you need someone older. You need, to, you need to follow, right? You need someone that you're looking to. Some ones. It doesn't have to be one. And you also need Barnabas, right? You need Barnabas in your life. You need someone that's in the same life stage, going through the same stuff. You're fighting together through the same life situations. Whether that's sending kids off to college, whether that's burying parents, whether that's raising little kids, whatever it is, you're right there with them. See, but if we only have Paul and you only have Barnabas, you're self-consumed, right? Because it's all about you. It's all about you being poured into. You see, you need to be a Barnabas. You need to look around at people in your life group, people in your same life stage that are right there with you in it. And you need to be encouraging them, helping them in the same situations. And you need Timothy. See, we need balance. We can't just be poured into. We have to be poured into and overflow and pour out, right? We need Timothy. So in my life, <clears throat> sorry, I'm not a middle school boy, I promise. I just squeak. <clears throat> I'm going to blame it on the tonsils. Um, in my life as a youth pastor, and, and a 20-something, 27, about to be 28 young man, this, this is what it looks like for me. Sitting down with Reese Modisett, Thursday afternoons after school. Reese walks over to the church. We go to Standpipe. Sit down over a cup of coffee. Reese doesn't drink coffee, but that's okay. I like coffee. And we talk about life. We talk about what's going on, right? What's going on in each other's lives. And then at some point, we open the Bible. Now, I don't, I don't prepare beforehand. This isn't some magical thing. We're reading through Luke right now. And we read one chapter. We read it out loud. I read, some, I read a story, and we'll talk about it. What does it mean? What is he talking about? How does that convict us? Um, what, how does that fit with the rest of it? And we talk about it. And it's, it's amazing, week after week, how much it applies to each of our lives. Well, Reese and I are very different. Reese is 13, 14. What are you, Reese? 14. I'm double his age. But God's Word convicts us both. And we both have things that we're like, man, I've got to change that. Man, I'm struggling with that. I'm not some old sage that's, Reese, let me dump all my wisdom on you. I know, here, just, blah, like, that's not, that's not discipleship. Reese is teaching me. Reese understands Scripture too. And I'm learning things from him about how he lives his life and how he's trying to reach his friends and all these different things, right? We read, it's not complicated. We read the Bible, we apply it to our lives, and we pray for each other. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's not some heroic thing. It should be normal in our church that there are Pauls investing in Timothys. Mark Dever says this. He says, this happens, discipleship, happens over weeknight desserts or Saturday morning breakfast while folding laundry or taking trips to the grocery store. 
It happens sitting over coffee, coffee and resting from building a house. It happens in living rooms, offices, sidewalks, and shopping malls. The where and the when isn't important. What is important is the doing of discipling. You see, it doesn't, you don't have to sit down with coffee over with a middle school student. You don't have to sit down like that. For moms, you don't have that time, right, with little kids. But you can't invite younger, uh, younger women into your life, into your home, to see how you're raising your kids to be godly. So, so how does this apply to our lives? Being a disciple who makes disciples. I think, I think God is calling us, some of us in the room, we need to initiate a discipling relationship. That we need, to, we need to see people around us that we know are young in the faith. We know that they're just a little behind us. Not that they're weak. They're just, they're just not as mature, right? And we, and we need to call them out. Hey, man, I'd love to have you over for dinner. Hey, let's meet Thursday for lunch. Hey, we need to get together for breakfast and talk about this. I, I want to pray for you. I want to know what's going on in your life. And some of us need to initiate that. Now, here's, the, here's what I know. As we read in Deuteronomy 6, God puts the family as the primary place of discipleship, right? God puts the family. So if you're a husband, raise your hand in here. We got some husbands. We got some wives. We got some parents. We got a lot of parents in here. God has, God has given you relationships. You don't have to go initiate them. You've got a husband and a wife. You've got a son. God has called you, if you're a husband, to disciple and help your wife. And so I think for some of you husbands in here, it means you just need to sit down with your wife one time a week. And you need to pray. You need to talk about what's going on. You need to read the Bible. So if you're a parent, especially of young kids, man, I can't tell you. When kids get to 10th grade, 11th grade, they've already decided what, where they're going. They already know the path that they're headed down. They've already made their decision. You have your impact at much earlier years. And you parents of young kids, you have such an opportunity. I mean, you're looking at parents of 18-year-olds up here. Their kids are leaving the house right now. They're about to go, yeah, Randy Batten's going, yes. Some of you are going, man, I hope this takes. I hope this works. I hope I did enough, right? And don't, don't wait until they're 16. Don't wait until they're 17. I'm telling you, it's too late. So some of you, man... You're going to look around. You've got a little margin in your life. You're an empty nester or um, whatever your life situation is. You've got more room to take on more. And you're saying, man, I see that kid all the time at the baseball games. I wonder how he's doing. I see, I see that kid all the time at Brookshire's. He's working. and I see that young man who's leading his family. Man, I'm going to go encourage him. I want to go meet with him. I want to go pray with him. God may be calling you to that today. You see, we've got to ask ourselves, who's our Paul? Who's our Timothy? Who's our Barnabas? And who am I being a Barnabas to, right? I think that's what God's calling us to today, is just to evaluate that. Where am I being a disciple? And where am I making disciples? You see, seniors, you're leaving the house. Some of you, some of you are staying at the house, but that's a, that's a different story. Some of you, you're going out like, a, like water out of a faucet, and you're just being scattered to the world. And you're finally able to kind of shape and form what, it, what, what, is, what your life looks like. You're getting to decide what's important. What do, what do I value? What do I think is most important? What do I think is right? What's my faith? You're getting to make that decision. And you're going to realize that the world and, and the world outside of this church has very different views on that. And, and, you, and you're going to have to figure that out, right? You're, you're not just going to believe 
You're going to have to figure out not just what your parents believe, not just what your youth pastor believes, not just what your teachers or your friends believe. But you're going to have to figure out what you believe, who you are. And I, and I just want to persuade you one last time today. Uh, some of you I'll see again. I'm, I'm acting like you're gone after this. But I want to persuade you today that what's best for you and what's best for all of us is not to be self-consumed, is not to be self-focused. What's best for us in the, in the place that we will find life is in full surrender to Jesus, is in being a disciple who makes disciples, being about a bigger purpose than just myself, being about a bigger purpose than just my little world, and instead focusing on reaching the world that God has put you in, sharing the hope that's within you, rather than just becoming more successful Americans. You see, it's about being a disciple who makes disciples. Let me pray. God, I just first want to thank you that uh, you've greatly loved us, God. Um, you saw our great need. You saw our desperate situation. God, hopeless without you. God, in need of a Savior, and you sent your Son. God, we were rebels. We were, we were enemies of you, actively warring against you. And you said, no, I want those. I love those. And you said, I'll give up my Son so that they can be on my side, so they can be a part of my family. God, we praise you for that. God, we thank you for grace. that We didn't deserve that, but you did it for us anyway. God, I pray that as we see that, that that would motivate us to follow you no matter the cost, to pour our lives into the next generation, to, to reach those around us, God, that you've already put in our, in our lives. God, God, may you stir your people to that. May you open our hearts to, and our eyes to see the work that you're already doing around us. May we join you there, God. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. If you would, stand with me. Um, here's what I want to do to close. Uh, we've done this in the past. But I want you to just find three, four, five people right around you. I just want y'all to pray together. Um, just do a little prayer circles at the end. If you need to come talk to, to Brother Daryl or myself about anything, we'd love to pray with you. But if you would, just circle up. Just grab a few people right around you. Pray for each other. Pray for what God's doing in, in their lives. And then we'll close out here in a second.